And this idea that if people receive commercial rights, they'll go and sue other people that have their matching profile picture, whether that's a funk, whether that's a V1, whether that's any other derivative, is complete nonsense. Uh, commercial rights differ from ownership of the IP. Furthermore, there is a very strong argument that CryptoPunks are not copyrightable. At least the vast majority of them are not copyrightable. We went when Lava Labs threatened us. We went, engaged a law firm, and sought out advice. And we've got 15 pages worth of it that goes really into detail about this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Floor is Rising, with host Sabretooth, a professional NFT collector, and Kizu, a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting and analyzing NFTs. So, if you are a creator or a collector of NFTs, jump in. The water is warm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Floor is Rising. I'm Sabertooth. With me is Kizu. Our special guest today is uh, a man known as Hemba. Very, very famous, or some people would call him infamous, in the CryptoPunk community. He's the founder of what is currently known as CryptoPunk V1. He's also, at one time, the largest CryptoPunks holder, even more than the, the, the development team. Hamba, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hamba, tell us, how did you get into NFTs? I got into NFTs just by luck, by chance. And I guess I got into NFTs before they were NFTs. And it was actually through CryptoPunks. So for whatever reason, in June 2027, June the 17th, perhaps, I was scrolling through the internet, Reddit. I saw a Mashable article and that talked about CryptoPunks. And I was so engaged by the first few words of that article, the concept that, okay, this is digital art, but you can actually own it. No, not a copy of it, but the actual image. You verifiably own it. That was so engaging. And so I claimed CryptoPunks. What was the background of of you claiming CryptoPunks? I mean, some some people say that you are the very first claimant of CryptoPunks. Is that true? And how many punks did you claim in the beginning? No, quite to the contrary. I wasn't the first. I was actually a week or eight days late. So the the contract itself was launched on the 9th of June, free to claim for anyone. There's a person, I forgot the name, but they're famous as that first claimant. And actually, by the time I got to it, some four or 5,000 were already gone. I remember as I was reading through the article, I I kept seeing the, the number updating of available punks, and I realized... I was up against it. So over the next 18 hours and perhaps more, I didn't really sleep. I just tapped buttons and manually claimed uh, 1,054, I think it was, 1,054 punks. And it got tight there at the end. I remember a few times I might have stopped to get a drink of water and I saw that some of the other people were catching up. So I had to try and figure out ways to go faster. (laughs) How did you go faster? Well, so I started, you know, first thing is I I didn't know what I was doing prior to reading the Mashable article and then looking on the website. It gave the instructions on how to do it. 
I'd never interacted with a smart contract before. So I relied upon the instructions that Lava Labs gave as to how to do it. So first I had to understand that, tap, tap, tap. Okay, what is this? All new applications or new areas to applications. We didn't have MetaMask back then, so I had to use my Ether wallet and an area called contract interaction. So at first I started just, okay, click on the image. Oh, nice punk, cool. Number, type it in, go. Then I realized it was too slow to to appreciate the art before I decided to get punk. So instead of clicking on the image, I just hovered over the image and saw, okay, that's this number, go claim it. That wasn't fast enough. So I decided to then look at groups where lots of punks hadn't been claimed and I just started doing sequential numbers. you just go sequentially until it told you that the transaction is going to fail or there's a gas calculation error. And then you knew you had to go look at a different group. That's how I went faster. Okay. So, you know, at, at the end of this, you had like 1,054 punks, which I believe was you were the number one punk holder at the end of the, at the, end of the claiming period. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, correct. I was number one. Then number two was a guy by the name of Wilcox with about 900. I just got him. <laughs> so, you know, at that stage, there was no Discord, like there was there was kind of nothing. What actually happened after that? Like, t- take us through, I guess, you know, the early days of of CryptoPunks, essentially. Like, what, what, what was happening? <laughs> How did people communicate? Well, there actually was a Discord, if I recall correctly. Okay. Um, and so throughout that sort of claiming period, or, or at least very soon afterwards, there was a Discord for people to communicate. And after that claim period ended, and obviously it ended with a, a great crescendo, the developers, I think, enabled the function to allow trade or at least added that to the UI on the site. And people started to list their punks for sale. And this was prices ranging from $5 each to 50 to a bit more optimistic at 1000 to very optimistic at $50,000. Um, and so... Uh, a market started and people were buying, selling, and, and the energy was really electric because people were like, oh, wow, this this is perhaps a, it's validated. This is a really cool concept because people are paying 10 bucks for it. You can look back and see some of the early Reddit posts from the developers in the early days saying like, wow, guys, people are, people are spending 20 bucks on this. People are spending 50 bucks, um, even on their Twitter. So the energy was really cool back then and, and people wanted to acquire more or trade for a, an attribute that they liked or a, a visual that they liked. And uh, I was one of them as well. I wanted to get more. Um, and especially if these things are five or 10 bucks each, I'd just, yeah, I'd buy some cool ones, buy ones I liked. And so in the course of doing that, I see another command that is the withdraw command. So, okay figure out, okay, what's the withdrawal command? I go look at the, the GitHub or something or on their website. The withdrawal is for when you've got money in the contract waiting for you. So I'd gone and purchased a few punks and then I hit the withdrawal button, checked the transaction and saw that I got money back and hmm, something must be wrong. The way that the punk contract works is that when somebody lists something for sale, they make that agreement with the smart contract. And then when somebody purchases that, the money goes to the smart contract and automatically I receive the NFT. Then later down the line, 
someone, uh, the seller, then interacts with the contract by executing the withdrawal command and they receive the money owed to them. Now, in the instance of the first CryptoPunks contract, they'd crossed their tubes, they'd crossed the wires, and the purchaser was able to execute the withdrawal command and receive the money. And so I realized that and it's like, okay, cool. So then I got to work buying, withdraw, buy, withdraw, buy, withdraw, buy, withdraw, all the way up from $5 each to 50 to 100 to 1000 all the way up to say 50 F each. And on that day, it was like, what's that? It's $15,000 or something for a punk. And so I was, I was doing that pretty quick smart. I do the purchase, then I do the withdrawal transaction, hoping that there's no way that uh, the seller could front run me. All the way up until the last punk listed for sale, which was 250F, like $60,000. And I really hesitated before this one. I actually finally was like, okay, I got to pull the trigger. Let me just get it. And uh, I made a transfer from an exchange to my wallet, hit it, obviously did the withdrawal function pretty quickly, and bingo, it was mine. In the hours afterwards, and obviously at the time, people realized, oh, something, something's wrong. And the developers put out the statement saying, hey, there's an issue with the contract. Don't list anything for sale. There's a bug. Then all was silent for a couple of days uh, while the devs figured it out. And everyone was just sort of thinking, oh, well, that's a shame, but uh, they'll figure something out. I guess it was free, so no harm done. When did this happen? Can you remember the, the exact date that this happened? So if everything was fully claimed, I think on the 18th or the 19th, then that sort of exploit happened on the 19th, almost immediately afterwards. And it was over the course of, say, eight hours. Somebody's done a report recently for me, and it says that there was 82 instances of transactions that occurred prior to the developers releasing the second CryptoPunks contract. And of those 82, I was 69 of them. So I was the majority of them. Um, and other people, obviously, in between were able to benefit too. Although once they released that, that second contract in a few days later, everything was reverted back to the uh, immediately after claim. Whatever you minted, you were airdropped as the V2 um, on the 23rd of June. Okay. So, so as I'm hearing this, this, this sounds kind of like eerily similar to <laughs> the DAO hack slash hard fork, where, where essentially, you know, this, this thing got released, something happened, you, you, you hacked it. And, and then basically like, a hard, essentially it was a hard fork that kind of happened, right? Where mm -hmm. everything got reset back to the moment where the claim finished and then sort of the new contract started. Is, is that the way you look at sort of what happened? Like almost like a hard fork? Yeah, I, I think it's an apt analogy. I think one thing I would say is though I, I didn't really hack it in the sense that you know anyone could have done it. And and me, I, I'm the least technical guy out there. I just hit the withdrawal button and I got the money back. It was, you know, dumb luck that it was me and not somebody else. Okay. <laughs> cool. So at the time when this happened, where you were sort of I guess exploiting the, the, the vulnerability in, the, in that contract. What did you think would happen? Or, or did, was that not even going through your mind? Like, or what, just what were you thinking basically as this was going on? Yeah, I, I, I think it was a continuation of that sort of race mentality I had during the claim period. Because 
I think it's my understanding, and this was almost five years ago, that this all happened basically back to back. Or if it wasn't back to back, I probably would have only slept a couple of hours between this. So it was like, huh, yeah, let me buy some more. And then it's because I, I wanted to buy as many as I could. And uh, then when I realized, oh, I could get these ones, I was like, okay, bang, let's get them, get them, get them, get them, get them. I think it was just a continuation of that. What did I think would happen? I think I sort of knew that, you know, you're not really just going to get a whole bunch of these and it would continue. But uh, uh, again, this was so new and I hadn't been exposed to anything similar in the past. I, I know there are sort of instances similar to this, maybe in NFTs or digital collectibles, but perhaps not so many prior to this. Uh, so it was all new ground for, I think, everyone here. Okay. So let's fast forward a bit. So devs released sort of the hard fork, the CryptoPunks hard fork. For, for, for everyone in the, in the audience, if, if you, you know, go to the CryptoPunks Discord and, and you, you kind of search for, for, for Hambo's name, um, <laughs> all, all throughout 2020, right, when, when you go back to those messages, pretty much nearly every single message referring to you was, was begging you to not dump. <laughs> and I think you're famous, I guess, for having sold a lot in kind of 2020. It, is it true that you you at one point had sold every single one of your sort of sort of crypto punks? And, and maybe you can like I guess take us through like you know during that three year period when you claimed and up till I guess 2020 when when you sold a lot. What what was that journey like for you? How were you thinking about like like crypto punks? I, I guess why why you decided to, to I guess sell so many that pretty much everyone was kind of begging you to stop selling. Um, yeah, maybe, mm. maybe take take us through some of those. So the CryptoPunks community in the market was very very different back then from say 2017, 2018, 2019. In that you really struggled to get any buyers. Um, there was really little interest in the project other than those hardcore, really devout CryptoPunks guys, which to their credit, a lot of them managed to hold on even to now or to the highs. Um, and their, their thesis was validated. Uh, but if you look back at the history, you would struggle to get more than a $50 sale every week at some points. And so uh, I was just continually a seller the whole way through it. The idea was that I had that many that I could just gradually sell down. Um, it would take me so long to sell them because there weren't really any buyers for this. Even some of the, the, the OGs that we consider now back in the CryptoPunks days weren't interested in, in terms of something to hold longer term. Uh, the interest was only to, to come in and, and flip it, buy up a whole bunch, drive some volume, sell it, and make you 20 30%. Um, so that all changed, I think, in 2020. Uh, the end of 2020. I mean, we'd had some some runs prior to this, but uh, towards the end of 2020, that was when Rarible, the marketplace, was launched. As part of that, they offered the trading rewards. So if you did volume on their website, you would be entitled to a proportion of their rewards. And so that drove a frenzy through a lot of crypto, uh, sorry, through a lot of NFT projects, including CryptoPunks. And so people were wrapping their CryptoPunks, which are ERC-20 token standard. They predate the 721 standard. 
they were wrapping them as 721s so that they could list and, and sell on Rarible. And with that, that listing, selling, the volume came people just washing through their own listings. It was really sort of widely known and, and widely done back then. And so a lot of the volume that was occurring was false, although it did drive some genuine volume too. So at that point, I think I still had, say, 300, 350, um, because prior to that, I'd, I'd just been continuous, continuously drip selling. And so I used that opportunity with the rareable event to sell into it. And so the idea was that, okay, well, the majority of this volume is improper, I guess. So you could use this volume to exit. Then once uh, the volume dies off, the price dies down, you can make a big entry and really capitalize that. And of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. It was a pretty stupid call, right? And people are saying, oh, why didn't you hold on to 50, 20, 100 or whatever? Um, and I mean, you look back and you sort of think, hmm, yeah, I probably should have. But uh, the market even back then in the end of 2020 was very different to what it is today. And even if you look back to sort of prices early 2021, you could still pick up punks for 5000 bucks each. Um, it really wasn't until middle 2021, late 2021, where you saw these things go to half a million bucks each. So it's sort of, it really did happen out of the blue, but also, yeah, I mean, 2021 was the year of NFTs, right? Um, and CryptoPunks did insanely well in that, but I managed to miss it. Take us through how you, I guess, started this V1 project. I, I mean, it, it started, take us through the, the story of how, how this thing started. Yeah, so in 2021, as we saw punks just go ballistic, people, more and more people started to learn that there was a version one. And at some points, I was sort of away from the computer for an extended period. And I'd come back and just have DMs completely flooded with people saying, hey, how can I get some of these V1s? Or can you sell them? Or tell me the story. So we knew there was some demand. So I, I had some people develop a, a wrapper and a website, which didn't really work very well. So we shelved that. Then a guy by the name of Fuba, uh, he went and developed a wrapper and a website called Classic Punks. And that got a bit of attention, a few buys. I think a few people used that to exit or whatever. And then end of 2021, a few of these archaeologists or NFT historians, they call themselves, they um, stumbled upon this story and started collecting themselves, picking up some different OTC deals. There's even a, a, a deal that was fantastic that I only learned about, I think, this early the, earlier this year. Uh, Mr. 703, who's still a V2 and V1 whale, he managed to do an OTC deal for 64F for a V1 alien. And now those are going for a thousand F. So some amazing foresight there. But uh, yeah, these archaeologists they discovered it, and they got in contact with a guy by the name of Cyborg, who was an early claimant. Uh, Cyborg was interested. He was involved in a project uh, with a guy by the name of Frank, who's a developer. And then Frank said, "Okay, cool. Well, I'll make a wrapper for you." And Frank started working on what is now the V1 wrapper. 
uh, as part of that, uh, Frank knew or, or Cyborg knew that I was a large holder of V1s. So they contacted me and, and said, hey, we're doing this. Do you want to join us? And I said, cool. And that was like December 2021. And then in the middle of January or early January, the wrapper was launched, the website was launched, and we sort of, you know, really went off with a boom. I think you, you mentioned FUBAR, right? Uh, he, yeah. he, he had some choice words to say about, <laughs> about the V1 wrapper. Mm-hmm. And he kind, of, he kind of said that, uh, I mean, he, he said a couple of things. One is that you, you kind of stole his wrapper. And then the other one is that there's some kind of backdoor built into it. I guess, what's your opinion on, on what he has to say about it? Yeah, I remember, I mean, I got nothing against FUBA at all. I remember when I was having people develop a wrapper for me in a marketplace, um, they built something or they were working on it. You know, what they built wasn't, wasn't fantastic, so we shelved it. But they actually did approach FUBAR at the time who was working on or had created his own and sort of said, okay, let's combine efforts. And I think the response was sort of, oh, well, I'd want you to pay me or I'd, I'd want something like that or there'd be the royalty associated. And this is a bit fuzzy memory. But, yeah, that, that was initially sort of a, a sour thing of like, okay, well, why should we pay you to work together to combine efforts? We don't really want to fragment the community amongst two rappers. Then later on, once, once Frank is working on his rapper, we were really keen for FUBA to join. It's like, okay, FUBA, you've made this wrapper here. We want to enhance that insofar as the visual of, of the wrapper we weren't really comfortable with. So we wanted to create a new one, create a new community around that. Um, and it was really difficult to get a hold of FUBA and, and you know, we sort of went there kind of hat in hand going, hey, work with us. Um, and the response we got was, you know, pretty negative towards it of, oh, I've already got a wrapper, it works, why you want to make another one? And I don't know, my memory's fuzzy, but it was like I didn't think FUBAR had any interest in terms of V1s anymore, so he wasn't really interested in it. So anyway, we go make the wrapper. I, I, I'm not a technical dude, so I don't know the, the differences. If you go to a diff checker, I also don't know whether there's huge differences in any of the wrappers uh, given it's an ERC-20 to a 721, and a wrapper exists for the V2 contract as well. I mean, my assumption would be you just copy whatever is there that works, whether that's the V2 wrapper or the existing V1. Yeah, the, the response we constantly got was sort of negative and, and I don't know, I didn't really understand that. The, the subsequent stuff about there being a vulnerability or the, the sort of FUD associated with that was to do with a pause function having been built into the contract where if there proved to be an issue with the the marketplace, it wasn't with the wrapper. If there was an issue to do with the marketplace, which was run on a separate contract to run via our website, then the owner of that contract, the deployer of that contract, sorry, was able to hit a pause function. And in executing that pause function, my understanding is that you would have put at risk whatever money was bid, there would have been a vulnerability there. So the solution for us was quite simple in terms of, okay, by this point, that marketplace contract had handled tens of millions of dollars worth of volume and we were comfortable with it. 
So Frank, the developer, went and executed the renounce function, meaning he no longer had any control over the marketplace contract and it was and is truly decentralized. So yeah, that, that was the extent of it. There was a way for the deployer to pause it and through pausing it, that would have put users' funds at risk. But yeah, it's it sort of, Frank is fully doxxed. He's a Belgian guy. He's, he wasn't planning on running off with people's money. But even if he was, now he can't because it's fully decentralized. Do you have a certain critical distance uh, from, you know, so now it's, it's now five years, I guess, four and a half years since the claim process and then the kind of the time at which you sold off all your punks. And so there, there's a little bit of, I guess, maybe one could argue selective memory in that. But of course, I think now that we're revisiting it, um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, how your, you know, how you view those events uh, today. There was actually a funny meme going there for the first several years. And this was popularized by a guy by the name of Blur, well-known in the CryptoPunks community, of, um, you know, Hember's always dumping. Because I was the main seller for many years there, um, at least sort of on market. You know, sometimes I'd sort of pull listings uh, when we saw some movement. But uh, I was known as, as the guy that was just always dumping. There's Hember always dumping. And that was for the first several years. And I think by the start of 2020, maybe I had 500 left. And then by middle of 2020, it was, yeah, 350 or so. I kick myself every day because it's like uh, I was working with a friend on the concept of putting together a DAO, you know, to pull some holdings and to look at some NFT exposure. And it would have been a, a fund sort of uh, along the lines of whale sharks, his whale token, his, his fund. I mean, his token isn't necessarily linked to his assets, but something along those lines, which would, which would have been a bit more sophisticated. And that would have involved me pooling about 350 punks and 60 autoglyphs with a whole bunch of ether, a friend opening up to contributions from others, and then going and buying a whole bunch of rare assets. Um, and uh, yeah, had we have done that, we're looking at over a half a billion dollar fund right now. Um, mm -hmm. So we didn't, but uh, yeah, in terms of maybe people imploring me not to sell, maybe that happened in 2020. I'm not quite sure because I, I, I wasn't necessarily the one controlling the sales. I wasn't online for a lot of the time. I had other people do it for me, um, mm -hmm. but I was obviously directing them. But uh, yeah, in terms of my psyche post this, well, I mean, yeah, we obviously saw CryptoPunks go on a run and, and myself and a few of the others that, that were selling back then um, were sort of kicking ourselves going, oh, wow, look at this. At the top, you're talking about, yeah, over half a billion dollars just from my CryptoPunk assets alone had I not sold anything. But obviously, you can sort of look back on it and think, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, had I held on to 50 or 100 uh, had I sold them at the top or whatever. I mean, it was pretty unlikely that I was going to hold on to all thousand of them for that whole time. It was pretty unlikely that I was going to hold on to 500. So let's say I held on to 200, 100. What's to say I wasn't going to sell them when the floor price got to 100,000 or to 50,000? 
I think it's pretty obvious that I was I was going to sell a bottom you know, one way or the other, right? I probably wasn't going to hold all the way to the top like like some of the people have to their credit. So when I look back on it, it's it's not really looking back with too much regret because, you know, it's just what happened. Uh, I've been contacted by lots of people, you know, since then that maybe have had similar situations in terms of having sold the bottom or, or weak-handed stuff mm. and they've had that seller's remorse where it's like, oh, dude, I feel awful. You know, I've lost a house worth of stuff or more. I can't imagine how you feel, you know, how do you cope? And I just sort of say straight up to them, like it's, you know, uh, I'm just taking the round trip instead of the the direct one. So uh, I'm not so regretful for it because with that money I, I gained from selling, I was then able to trade and invest and, and earn a return from it anyway. I thought I could make superior returns uh, myself utilizing that money. And I did make good returns. I did outperform the market, but nobody's outperforming crypto bucks, right? So my emotion, I'm, I'm not so regretful of it. Uh, it's just what happened. I can't change it. And really, it's really, really tough to hold something the whole way. I mean, CryptoPunks was up only, but that up only really only started from the start of 2021, really. Mm-hmm. You know, the funny story is it, it's not only CryptoPunks that I sold the bottom off. It's Autoglyphs. I, mm. I was there. I was there the day that dropped, and I had fifteen percent of the supply. Uh, and it was Axies. I was there at the at the time they did the crates. Um, and out of the sixty thousand dollars I spent getting those Axies, I was able to land two out of the three quad Axies, and I sold those for you know maybe ten thousand bucks each. Now you'd have to pry them out of Delphi's cold dead hands for like half a million bucks right (laughs) so yeah i I, i'm famous for it basically whenever i sell something historically you'll outperform if you buy it (laughs) a good number of observers have chimed in on on this v1 p2 thing in terms of how you know the the whole story it's a a very compelling story in fact this is the latest chapter in the crypto punks uh kind of like saga or narrative that you know confers another a a further an additional layer of of coolness in a sense obviously we know that you know there's been a, a series of different um, incidents, controversies, whatever you want to call it. Sabretooth mentioned that there are parallels there with with uh, other kind of hard fork like situations. Do you actually see this V one V two punks saga as somehow reflective of uh, the wider crypto culture? I really think the V one V two saga, as you said, adds to the law, adds to the mystique, adds to the substance of crypto punks. I mean, you're talking about uh, the most inspirational formational project in NFTs. And it, I don't think it's something that most participants or many participants in NFTs today fully appreciate. Um, and so it's actually becoming my full-time mission now to spread the message of CryptoPunks. This isn't a V1, V2 message. This is telling the story of, you know, this is the project that started it all, really. Uh, you've got something that directly inspired the non-fungible token standard. 
No, it, it created the NFT as we know it today. This is something that directly inspired the 10,000 series collectible. This directly inspired the PFP craze. This inspired the idea of these uh, artist-designed traits that an algorithm and a computer then determines the rarity of. Uh, and once it's done, it's done. It perhaps inspired the very concept that to be a digital or Web3 participant, uh, you need to have a digital collectible as your profile picture. So uh, we've got all these amazing stories associated with CryptoPunks. Uh, you know, in their simplicity, 24 by 24 pixels, 576 pixels or something. You know, you're talking about something that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And why? It's because of everything that's come afterwards as a result of CryptoPunks. And so that is a really artistic story. And it's got different con controversies. It's got twists and turns along the roads. Um, uh, it, it's got subsequent amazing foundational projects from its founders, Artblocks, uh, sorry, Autoglyphs, which inspired Artblocks, the first on-chain generative project. MeBits wasn't the first 3D avatar on-chain. However, it was the biggest uh, one. Um, I mean, they've created the, the Lavalos founders amazing stuff and they will be in museums, CryptoPunks. And this story, this story is art and it continues to be written with V1s and with CryptoPunks. And so I think we've got a really cool opportunity here if we all work together as a community. I think the CryptoPunk story needs to be told and the CryptoPunks community needs to work together to tell it. Um, I think over a long time horizon, it, this isn't a v, V1, V2 thing. That's a sub-story. The story is CryptoPunks, the contemporary art, the modern art sensation, the art of our, our generation. You've been sort of muted in the official CryptoPunks Discord. I think there's a lot of hostility oh, yeah. uh, among CryptoPunk holders towards V1s. I think, you know, when I interviewed Brandon Buchanan, um, he, he referred to sort of the V1s as kind of like a demo tape. <laughs> right. That's that was how he but but I think that uh that kind of view is probably not shared by a significant sort of point of view from from the the, the CryptoPunks holders. Um mm -hmm. I think I think they kind of view it sort of more negatively. Um talk about how how you see this split schism and it's it's definitely a huge schism as of right now. Yeah. And and I guess how do you see it healing if ever? Yeah, yeah. I think it should heal. I mean, Brendan, by the way, is is really smart. I was fortunate to meet him in um, in Dubai recently. He's got a really strong thesis to do with historical um, NFTs, and and I listened to the the podcast you did with him. It was fantastic. He's got a really clear understanding of of the value proposition for V ones. That's the, the the demo type. That's the rare historical artifact. That's the busted up baseball card the misprint and it's one of those things where with that type of thesis with that type of i think understanding of you know prior art projects uh, prior examples of this when you look at this over a long time horizon it's pretty obvious that the v1s will have some kind of value 
Um, and that value should only crescendo with the, the, the value uh, and, and the cultural appeal appreciating for CryptoPunks. As CryptoPunks become omnipresent in, in pop culture, uh, that V1 story will only um, be enhanced. So there are some pretty uh, strong feelings and some polarization um, in the community. The V2 side, the CryptoPunk side, they might view this as being opportunistic or a grift or scamming or stealing or, or exploitative or tricking people that, oh, these aren't real CryptoPunks. Um, even Lava Labs themselves came out with a threat saying, they're not the real CryptoPunks and we own a thousand of them. Uh, so watch out, basically, because they dump the market. I think that sort of argument is overblown. The idea that the V1s are invalid, the idea that they, they're not real, they shouldn't exist, because it's there written on the blockchain. I mean, for two weeks, the V1s were the CryptoPunks. That was the only, that was the CryptoPunks. That, the V1s were claimed. The V2s were airdropped, right? And so I'm not here to get into a, a, a big argument about that. And I think my job isn't to be, isn't to try and be divisive here. It's to say, okay, I want to bring up all CryptoPunks. The best thing for V1s is to bring up V2s as well. The best thing for V2s is, is to bring up CryptoPunks. If we can sort of settle the differences and just accept reality that, okay, the blockchain is immutable and they, they share the exact same imagery. They share almost identical code, except the V2 contract was fixed and it was updated with a, a bid function where the V1 contract doesn't. I think, yeah, it's, you know, V1s aren't going to go anywhere. And whether uh, I'm the person leading V1s, whether somebody else is leading V1s, whether somebody decides to create their own wrapper and that splinters the V1 community and, and people decide to go in a different direction with it. That's fine because the token will always exist and, and there's obviously a community there for it. But yeah, definitely I think the path forward is finding some kind of acceptance, finding some kind of peace there because really I think this is an opportunity for the whole community of punk lovers to go, okay, hmm, this is our chance to do something with CryptoPunks. Right now, we don't have Lava Labs as our daddy and Yuga Labs is our new daddy, but they don't know what they're going to do with CryptoPunks. They bought us in a rush. What are they going to do? They got to trade really carefully. Um, it's easier for them to do something with MeBits than it is to do something with CryptoPunks since CryptoPunks were so formative, were so inspirational, are such a big deal. So it's up to us as the community to dictate and determine our own future and lead by example. I mean, you, you brought up Yuga Labs, which I think is, um, is actually quite pivotal in, I guess, the future relationship between sort of CryptoPunks and, and V1 in the sense that I guess one of the reasons why Lava Labs kind of sold CryptoPunks to Yuga Labs is this whole sort of copyright issue, which sort of permeated the, 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 a lot of the tension between sort of uh, Lava Labs and, and, the, and, the, and the CryptoPunks community. And since now Yuga Labs 
you know, own that copyright and they haven't really, you know, decided what to do with it. I'm wondering, you know, like how you view, I guess, that decision, because it, it seems to me that it, it could affect V1 greatly in the sense of how they decide to treat that copyright, because uh, if the stance is to be more permissive or the stance is to be more sort of hardline, it could affect essentially the visibility and the, I guess, the ability of, of V1 to, to be displayed, to, to be traded amongst sort of other marketplaces. How do you view that? So Yuga is the owner of the IP and as holders of either the V1 or the V2 token, uh, we have the right to freely trade, display, exhibit, sell, you know, uh, our punks. There is absolutely no problem with that. There's no limitation on, on the V1 side from putting them up in an art gallery or from it being their prized possession. There's absolutely no issue there. And Yuga can't infringe upon that, nor could Lava Labs. What Yuga has said is they're going to offer commercial rights to all CryptoPunks owners. And we're waiting to see what that document specifically says. Uh, and that'll dictate whether V1 Punk holders can commercialize their asset. Now, the interesting thing here is with CryptoPunks is that the, the imagery associated with the V1 and the V2 is identical. It's the, it's the same hash in the contract that points to the same image. And that image has transparent background. It's just the punk, it's just the head, just the profile. Uh, so they're identical, the V1, the V2. Now, obviously, when they're displayed on the UI level or if the, the V2 is wrapped, the background is different. That's out of the UI level. Uh, if it's wrapped, obviously, it appears with the lavender background to differentiate between the two. But you take away those backgrounds, they're identical. So really, the expectation is that, I mean, it's a difficult thing to say. The expectation from the V2 side would be that the commercial rights are only given to the V2 uh, contract. Now, that may well happen. I think that should, that's a reasonable expectation. And that may be considered a, a, a big win. But the contention is that for the past five years, four and a half years, no CryptoPunks have had commercial rights. And that was always pretty clear from Lava Labs. You could never really do anything to make money from your CryptoPunk. And so V1s will continue as normal. There'll never be any limitation to people displaying or using that. And this idea that if people receive commercial rights, they'll go and sue other people that, that have their matching profile picture, whether that's a funk, whether that's a V1, whether that's any other derivative, is complete nonsense. Commercial rights differ from ownership of the IP. Furthermore, there is a very strong argument that CryptoPunks are not copyrightable. At least the vast majority of them are not copyrightable. We went when Lava Labs threatened us. We went, engaged a law firm, and sought out advice. And we've got 15 pages worth of it that goes really into detail about this. So it's a bit of sort of rocky ground for Yuga how they do this. You could argue on one side that they might want to keep their options open. After all, Yuga owns 1,100 V1 punks. 
and 420 V2 punks. You could argue that they might want to keep their options open because if you're looking big picture, if you're looking long-term here, when you're talking about crypto punks being at the upper echelons of a modern art, of a contemporary art conversation, isn't it a much sexier story to have the V1, the V2? That story, that, that, that mystique, that law, that polarization, that's an artistic story, I think. So I, I just wonder whether they might want to keep their options open. I wonder whether there could be potential in the future for you to say, okay, well, we're going to do this V1 narrative on our terms. We'll make our own wrapper. We'll do it in this way. I think whatever happens, <laughs> everyone's sort of fascinated. They're, they're there with the popcorn saying, okay, well, this has some legal ramifications. Uh, this has some, some social ramifications. It's political in terms of the NFT space. It's just fun to watch. This is such a, a, a massive, as I said, foundational project. And, oh, but there's actually a, a, another version of it. How does the market value that? How does the market have these conversations about whether it should be valued or not? Is it even something appropriate for the market to try and sort of silence this and say, well, no, you shouldn't trade. Oh, I hope you lose all your money trading it or it's stealing or this or that. When at the end of the day, these are decentralized assets that anyone can choose to own or not own. So I think we agreed that we would ask um, not who is your favorite artist, but which is your favorite project? Although I, I guess that's kind of a self-evident question. If, if <laughs> yeah. I, uh... <laughs> I but... mean, yeah, I, I, am, I am now full-time thinking about CryptoPunks, uh, mm -hmm. that meme of eating, sleeping, breathing, whatever. Uh, if I can, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, what my vision is and what, what my sort of projects are right now. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, that, that'd be good. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it isn't even a fallacy to say that I wake up, I'm on the phone about punks, I have a meeting about them, I have a podcast about them, I'm talking about them constantly, I'm typing about them. Uh, I, I've lost count of how many times a day I say crypto punks. Probably still less than the amount of times I swear though. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can have two jars, a crypto punks jar and a swear jar. And I'm working on some fun stuff, and I really think there's massive opportunity here uh, for CryptoPunks to galvanize together as a community and push this forward to its rightful place in modern art. I think all of us with a clear understanding of what CryptoPunks are and a clear thesis get that, okay, eventually this is going to be at the upper echelons of modern art. It's, it's going to be there eventually, but we're not actually grouping together, organizing together to accelerate that. We're also not really making an effort to tell that story in a positive, you know, reasonably non-biased way. Because I find whenever I tell my story or whenever I tell the CryptoPunk story, people are sort of left with their mouth open. To me, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's a cool, cool story, but it's just a story. But it, especially if you're a latecomer to NFTs, say 2021, 2022, I, I say latecomer, but that's when it started, really. You, you might not fully understand it. And, and this is the Genesis collection, really. Now, there was some stuff that came before, but when you're talking about collections, it's CryptoPunks. And so a few efforts I'm working on, I want to put together some kind of DAO, some kind of community-led organization where we can look at pooling some funds, where we can look at 
whatever commercial opportunities we can do within specific confines. I want to look at us throwing events. I want to look at us educating uh, both crypto participants and external participants on the magic of CryptoPunks. And as part of that, you know, I'm going to throw an event down in Austin uh, for consensus on the 10th of June. Now, this is the five-year birthday of CryptoPunks. So I want to throw an event for two or 300 people there at consensus and invite all CryptoPunks holders and, I guess, special friends. So I want to do that and I want to encourage the community to start throwing events on that scale of that prestige. You know, we can get sponsors for these. We can all chip in money together. It doesn't have to cost very much, but we can still put on kick-ass parties. Um, why shouldn't we meet each other? Why shouldn't we socialize and enjoy that? That's one of the projects. The next project I'm working on is holding a major exhibition for CryptoPunks in Dubai. Now, I'm based in Dubai, so it's a bit easier for me to throw it here. But uh, the, the vision here is let's get CryptoPunks into a major contemporary art museum. And how do we do that? It's step by step. So the first step is I want to put on an exhibition here. I want to hire out a venue. I want to put on an installation for CryptoPunks, not just punks on a wall. I want this to be a, a really immersive punk world. I want to have satellite events all through the city leading up to this, satellite venues where we can display some punks and really take over the city with punks. I want to do this during a busy uh, time for crypto on the calendar here, and I want people to travel into it, make this a pilgrimage, make this a celebration of punks and their story. We're not selling anything. We're just telling the amazing story of crypto punks. And we can make an amazing event here, and then with that knowledge and those materials that we've developed, we can then replicate that event in major cities all across the world. So London, Singapore, New York, Los Angeles, Miami. Suddenly then we've gone to half a dozen cities all in the world. We've got a body of work. We can then approach this major contemporary art museum and say, here, this is why you should have uh, CryptoPunks in your museum. This is why it's, it's art. This is why it's important. This is the type of audience and attention that you can you can um, seize. So, yeah, I, I'm going to have a really busy, busy time over the next few months, and I'm sure this will go for a few more years. So all I want is just to engage the community and get them all chipping in their effort, their brain power, their networks to this as well. CryptoPunks community has probably the who's who of crypto uh, within it. So if we can all chip in together, we can pull off some really amazing stuff, I think. Amber, it's uh, been a pleasure to have you on the, on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Floor is Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor is Rising. You can reach out to us or send us a question. Just send us a DM, at floor is rising.